It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. It's time for a special episode of Shooting the Breeze, featuring Aussie hoops icon Tully Bevilacqua. Currently, Tully's in her first professional head coaching role for the mainland Puakai, based out of Christchurch in New Zealand's inaugural first pay parity women's basketball league. There's so much to love in this special episode with her, around her recollection of that famous gold medal winning game at the 2006 Women's World Cup. There's also the magical story of the return of LJ, and her unquestionable love and pride for the Opals and her fellow teammates. There's a lot of hoops wisdom here, folks. Soak it up. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Today, it's a special episode joining my co-host Jacinta Govinda, myself, from New Zealand. It's Tully Bevilacqua. Tully, welcome to the show. It's great having you here. Well, I'm going to try and use my Kiwi here. G'day, bro. Like, <laughs> kind of kind of a combo. Thank you. It's, it's great to be on the show. I follow you guys, um, obviously, through the social media outlets, so Twitter and Instagram being the two main. Yeah. Um, so, no, it's a privilege. No, thank you. So, Tully, you're in New Zealand, you know, New Zealand mm-hmm. by way of Indiana and head coaching, your first head coaching role. How's it going? It, you know what? I found a new me. Um so I took this job because I think, as you said, it's my first head coaching position, like with a senior, a senior group like this. And I've always questioned whether or not I wanted to be a head coach and, you know, having to make the tough decisions. And and when this opportunity came up, I, I knew if I said no, I'd regret it and um, not giving it a go. And it was kind of like perfect timing. My kids are a little older, so can manage them a bit more and they're a bit more independent, so uh, it helps. And it was like, yeah, put the hand up, let's give it a go. And I'm really loving it. Like I've had to have some tough conversations and I've learned a lot of things along the way myself with being a head coach, Um, but I feel like I've found a new passion. (laughs) You came into New Zealand a few weeks before the competition started and your family came over as well. Mm-hmm. How did they find how did they find New Zealand? Well, at first, um, because I just brought uh, my children over with me and my mum flew over from Australia and she stayed with me for the first month to help out. At first it was it was great for them because, you know, it's the excitement of being on a an airplane or two or three of them. But unfortunately, with the change of seasons and the school system being opposite, they really didn't have a lot of kids around to play with because all during the day, the kids are at school. So we'd go to the, uh, an empty park um, or a, an empty, you know, trampoline place. So they're the only two. I mean, it was like we rented it out privately because, you know, in this massive building and it's just those two. So of course I had to get on the bloody trampolines myself and paid for it the next day. I tell you what, when you haven't been bouncing on trampolines for a long time, it's not easy. One, I thought I was going to pee myself, but like getting the timing is, I mean, yeah, it's been a little while, needless to say, but it was fun. But you know, they adapted really well and 
everyone here kind of embraced them. And it, it was unfortunate because towards the very end of their stay, they really started to get into the basketball side of things as a couple of games were being played and they were around the team more. They were getting super nervous at the games. I mean, after our first win at home, I, I think Parker nearly knocked me off my feet. He's like, oh my God. You know, he's like, that was so nerve wracking. You know, I'm like, well, welcome to my world now, kiddo. <laughs> and um, we don't have to go into this too much, but you had a, a kind of unfortunate incident with a pizzeria that wasn't when you first oh. arrived. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't assume <laughs> a name in America is what you think it is. And it wasn't pizza, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> the name, the name of the pizza place was Hotbox, so I think you can all use your own imagination. Um, and, but the funny part was, my mum was in the car with me. Kids are in the back, you know. I'm like, oh, Hotbox, and uh, <laughs> we both are driving by it, and we take a gander at the window um, and what was on display, and we, there was not a word said between <laughs> us. <laughs> We just left it as it. Oh, that was priceless. Are the kids into basketball too? You know, are they going to grow up to be little hoopers, little ballers, little coaches? Nah, no, not at all. <laughs> they, 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 um, Commentators? Bought a bloody $5,000 hoop to put in the backyard and I think I've used it more. No, they. Um, I think Parker is kind of more of a studier of the game and probably would be good in the uh, analysis area and the statistical area. Seems a little math genius. Mackenzie just, um, I think she was checking her nails on the sideline there one time when uh, the play was going on and one of us had scored a basket. Everyone's cheering and I saw a a bit of video footage and then she's checking her nails on the sideline. So, (laughs) no. who knows? I mean, they just still love being around the team. Look, one of the things that I saw that really impressed me for the game that you you just recently played was the centre of the court. Do you want to tell us how that all came mm-hmm. about? Because I was really impressed seeing that. Well, a friend of mine who I connected with during COVID through Twitter, Kelsey Trainer. Um, she's lawyer uh, by trade, and but very much into the sports worlds um, of all sports um, because it's, I mean, she's kind of breaking it all down in terms of, you know, women and empowering women, investing in women. So she started that logo or the theme of invest in women, hire women, pay women. And she connected with a company that then started putting that message on clothing apparel. So I think it started out as a T-shirt and proceeds for the sales of that shirt would go to a charity of her choice. But it just like grew from there. And obviously our friendship also just grew from there as well. Um, And so all sorts of merchandise then of, you know, mugs, hoodies, whatever. It's such a simple message, but it's so powerful. And, And, you know, any way we can, we like to help promote, you know, and we like to you know, kind of like uplift other females and what they're trying to do and, and make a difference in the world. I one day, I think I put out a tweet about, you know, if anyone wanted to purchase tickets and donate them and we would give them out to particularly female groups in the community here um, who couldn't necessarily maybe afford to go or have never been um, for circumstances. So Kelsey had, um, and along with a few other um, individuals and organizations donated. And I had one of her t-shirts that I brought over to work out in. I mean, and I use that term working out loosely. Um, and I had a couple of the team, our team members take photos just as a thank you gesture. And I sent them back to Kelsey. Well, our team manager, Caleb Harrison, he loved it. He loved the message and just elevated it then to putting it as a theme night for our game. And I mean, I was blown away. I mean, not only did we have the t-shirts, they put that video collage together of not just the women's team here, but the Rams, the Canterbury Rams men's team got involved as well. And then he took it a little bit further than that. He put a big decal in the center of the floor. Um, It was just it blew me away. And I think it really did blow, you know, Kelsey Trainer away, who's all the way in the States, but her message is being displayed here in New Zealand. And 
I think what was really touching was when the players were selecting their statements to record for the video montage, you could see them reading these statistics and being in absolute shock. And I think it really hit home to them about, you know, how much work there is to do to um, make it more equal. So I think that was a real touching moment for me. Yeah. Did Cal stay on on the court for the rest of the season? No, that was just a a theme game for us. And we don't, um, I'm just trying to think from memory whether we play there again. We play at different locations. So that was, like I said, possibly just um, the one game that we have at that arena. And it was just, it happened to be a doubleheader with the Rams as well. Yeah, I I was going to say, I think that whole program about getting people to buy tickets. Mm-hmm. And donating them to people who can't ordinarily come to a game is such a great initiative. I, I, I'd love to see teams here in Australia pick up on that too, because I know we heard about it and we bought seats from the podcast to and donate. We certainly appreciate that. And it was like as we were kind of reading through it and going, "Yeah, okay, let's let's do this." And I was just looking at it, going, "There's so many teams here in Sydney, mm-hmm. not just." basketball but so many teams in sydney that could do something like that and if you look at nationally you know just take the wnbl so many opportunities particularly in some cities that have got you know probably higher unemployment or uh lower general income to be able to get people to come to the games and i just i don't understand why they don't do it yeah it's um you know i'm really proud of what the club has done and and like i said a lot of credit to caleb harrison for just kind of like emphasising that as well out there in the community. But we also, you know, had brought in uh, women who were in shelters. Um, and, you know, I think it's just to, just to give them a, a special moment, um, you know, to kind of take their minds off things that have been going on in their life and, and just let them have some fun and, and, you know, be around other powerful females to kind of like uplift each other. Yeah, targeting marginalised uh populations or like you said women in shelters who might be perhaps mm-hmm. victims of domestic violence just providing yeah. something of normality and something that they can do for themselves for a change like just going to watch a sporting game yeah people don't make it about them mm-hmm. yeah make it about them people don't realize yeah. how much of a huge impact that can have on people in those situations a small gesture of here's a ticket to a sporting game mm-hmm. no i think um you know, in some parts of society, we do forget that that simple gestures or a couple of kind words can make a huge difference. And just an example, I we've been running some junior camps this past week because it's been school holidays. And it's the first time for a long time that they've actually been able to have female, uh, you know, young girls only camps um, because they've just never had enough numbers to do that. And so that's been really cool to to see and experience um, and the feedback from that. But I had an Instagram message from one of the young girls that was at the camp. She was you know, 14, 13, 14, and she'd never really played basketball before. And she felt out of place and, you know, she was tall. So she hadn't quite got in tune with her coordination with her body on the basketball court. And you could really tell that her confidence and she was so shy and, you know, and I look, I, I I followed her around because, you know, she she just needed someone there to boost her confidence and let her know that it's okay that you've never played the game before. This is about you having fun and just getting in and having a go, no matter what happens. And anyway, long story short, the next day I checked my Instagram messages and she had sent me a message to say how much those words boosted her confidence and she had a great time and that's at the end of the day that's what it's all about yeah and if she's going to take anything away from that experience in that camp Mm -hmm. it's how you made her feel that day um and uh yeah how important your interaction was she might not remember how to properly do a chess pass or a bounce pass well yes (laughs) and that's okay (laughs) that's a life lesson that is true. We'll keep working on that, though. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it is it is the little things in life. So, one of the things that that comes up for me just through this bit is how important do you think it is to have a bit of time away from the game as a player before you come back as a coach to get some different experiences in your life 
so that you can kind of bring some different perspectives. It's not just all about X's and O's and passing the ball. Mm. Uh, for me, it was it was really important because I didn't probably enjoy the last two years of my career as much. Um, the body started to feel the aches and pains. Um, and I think I definitely knew that it was very close to time to hang the boots up. And I just had to kind of hang in there just to kind of like get those extra couple of paychecks to, you know, because, you know, when you retire, things change dramatically. And so to set life up after basketball, kind of just had to hang in there for an extra year. And so as soon as I retired, completely got away from basketball, opened up a boot camp facility, became a personal trainer. Uh, Lindsay and I, you know, it was kind of like, well, what are we going to do? Because the last couple of years of our life basically revolved around my sport. We had a young son um, who was not long born. And so we wanted to create something for us to do where we could spend as much time with Parker at the time. We just had the one. And so sports has always been a big thing for both of us. So we we decided to go get our personal training license and um, open up our own gym and cater that to what we would like it to be in terms of making it a community. And so we didn't have any mirrors. We didn't want people to feel self-conscious of themselves. We just wanted them to get out there and, and enjoy exercising again without feeling the pressures of body image or, you know, I'm not fit enough to be here. I mean, we had fitness levels of all types. I mean, but we found a way to bring these people who would never touch lives together in any other form had it not been for our boot camp and become good friends. And so that was really good for me to just completely remove myself from basketball, get immersed in that, enjoy knowing what other people were doing in their lives. Um, and then I started to, after a few years of that, started to get back into the basketball side of things because I think watching the Indiana Fever still kind of and keeping an eye on the WNBA and being involved with some high school teams um, that love that passion for the game started to find its way back into my system. It didn't leave. It just kind of, it just needed a break. Um, and it, it just started to increase, increase. And that's when I started to then get back into the the swing of things with basketball, um, with the Indiana fever on the coach as part of the coaching staff. And then in the commentary and, and now this. I feel like when basketball is such a part of your life for so long, you definitely need a break from it at some stage. You mm -hmm. need to take time away from it to learn who you are and what your identity is away from basketball. Because yeah, it's it's yeah, there's more to you as a person and more more skills and more um, things that you can offer away from basketball. I think it's really important to step away from it, but at the same yeah. time, it's always going to be like that. Uh, toxic ex-partner just just hangs around and that you always go back to <laughs> yeah and you know I had to learn a lot of life skills after retiring again because we you know when you've played basketball as a professional for like 20 years of your life I mean it's not a normal job you're not doing a normal Monday to Friday or a, you know what does a weekend feel like because every day just feels kind of the same you're not mowing the lawns you're not doing simple things you're not paying bills because you know you're getting housed and things are getting paid for you you don't have to worry about health insurance because that's all getting taken care of your shoes so when it stops um you have to set a lot of reminders of when bills are due um do the groundwork and finding health insurance which isn't cheap in the states and not great and so there is so much that I had to learn and I would get in trouble because I'd forget sometimes and I would just sit back and expect it to to be done for me because that's what had happened for the last 20 years so I did have to reteach myself and and that's not fair as well on you know partners and stuff who are having to pick up the slack, they shouldn't have to do that then for you, you know, once you finish your career. So you got to reteach yourself life skills and, and get blend right back in. Were there any periods where it was a tough time adjusting back to that normality, I suppose, taking you away from basketball, getting back to that regular routine? Did you ever feel like, like what, at what stage did you feel like you started to miss it? You, you know what, I didn't. Um, I think a lot of times players get into trouble when they retire when you don't have something in place or a plan in place to kind of flow right into. I had spoken to one of my former teammates, Tamika Catchings. I had spoken a few times to her dad, Harvey Catchings, who used to play in the NBA. And we spoke a little bit towards the end about retirement. And he would tell me a couple of stories about how 
some people he knew would take like three months off or four months off and do nothing. But during that period of time, that's when some darkness would um, sink into the mind and, you know, you sit around doing nothing. And, and so I took some advice from his stories and made sure that as soon as I, you know, got off that plane from the very last blow of the whistle, um, I was stepping right into the gym. So I, I didn't have that lull to really have to think about it, but I also knew that it was time. So, you know, I, I didn't have any second thoughts or, you know, I didn't really have any issues with um, any depression or things like that, which had, can happen a lot to professional athletes who can't adapt. You know, you go from being in the limelight to all of a sudden, no, you're just that retired player now. So, you know, the next generation uh, is getting, you know, all the attention, which, you know, is how it is supposed to be. <laughs> you think that leagues, teams, agents could do more to help players through that transitional period? There's definitely more now available, um, and there are certain groups that are actually targeting retired athletes um, to help them with the process of, you know, finding out what it is that you like to do, you know, and putting them in, trying to connect them with programs. Um, so definitely, you know, the WNBA I know was um, introducing workshops, and I think it has become now a, a big part of, you know, the package as you are a player is to still also keep that in mind that you know, one day that could be easily taken away. Um, and, you know, when you're in the WNBA, it could be taken away very quickly. So, you know, whilst you hope to have a long career, you still have to have a plan in place. Yeah, we saw this season particularly, it seemed to be a really unusually high turnover of rosters in the WNBA, mm -hmm. much higher than anything I remember over the last few years. What do you think is kind of behind that? Well, there's a lot of, because players are playing in Europe and, you know, at the start of the WNBA seasons, not all the players are back. So a lot of clubs, a lot of teams use those that they've invited to training camp to, you know, plug those weeks that they're waiting on contracted players to, to come back and fulfill. So that's one part of the problem is the overlapping of uh, Europe and the start of the WNBA. Then because players have just completed a long season, well, I mean, you go from finishing WNBA straight into European, then straight back to WNBA training camp. So there's not a lot of downtime to give your body a rest. And so players are coming back into the WNBA with injury issues. And so there's that to deal with as well. Um, and so you'll have seen a lot of hardship contracts used throughout the season. I mean, and way more, I think, this year than what has been used in the past. So and that's disruptive as well when you've got so many comings and goings. And for a coach, it is super hard. I mean, I've had to deal with just the comings and goings of, of players here in, in this league. So I, I couldn't imagine when you've got a lot of rotation in such a short period of time in the W, how hard that is to manage, um, especially when you're trying to get team chemistry, which is a vital import of a success, you know, of a team. <laughs> you're trying to get it quickly. But yeah, you know, there's there's a, a few different reasons why. But this year in particular, there's a there's been a lot. Yeah, I was like I said, I was just really surprised by the, the number of and also how deep into the season some of those turnovers mm -hmm. of roster went. But it's an interesting point about Europe and the US because one of the things that we've noticed in the WNBL is a lot of players have opted to go to Europe rather than stay mm -hmm. for the upcoming season which is kind of interesting because it means a lot more new players are going to get an opportunity to play, but those veteran players, those big names that obviously help bring people into the to watch the games are going to be gone. Well, that all comes down to dollars and cents. <laughs> you yeah. know, obviously, you know, <laughs> players can make a lot more money over in Europe. Um, so it just comes down to trying to make the most of it while you can and set yourself up. Um, for down the track, you know, with taking advantage of what offers come your way. Um, some choose to use it as a way to travel and see the world and it be paid for, basically. So there's various reasons. But I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to the fact that you can make, obviously, a lot more money playing in Europe. And when you don't know how long your career might be, it certainly can help set you up um, financially for down the track. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anybody... Well, there's certainly no one here, and I don't think there's anybody who would be listening to the podcast that would begrudge any of the players making a dollar 
because uh, oh, as you no, said, it's, yeah, it's it's a short it's a short career span. You know, mm-hmm. it sure is, and it just takes. Unfortunately, it can just take one injury to to take that away from you. So you just have to make the most of of every day. And um, yeah, when you get opportunities like that, sometimes it's they're, they're too good to pass up. You've obviously got a really interesting outlook on this because you've you've played all around the world. Mm-hmm. What do you think is needed for Australia, particularly, to be able to get the WNBL? having a higher profile and it's just because you've seen how people have promoted the game all around the world Mm -hmm. what could we do well I think this past season was actually a step in the right direction I mean you had and I mean I know it was disjointed as well though because of COVID and things like that but you'd be surprised at one how many people all around the world were watching it now with being able to watch the games via FIBA you know via the YouTube live channels now um, a lot of people were watching it and there were some quality imports that were playing in the league this year I think one it's maintaining the quality imports in the league to make sure that the competition is at its highest level possible so that's one thing and that comes down to again dollars and cents sponsorships um who you've got to keep it on air. You've got to, it's got to be seen, you know, and if people can see it consistently and watch the games, then they get connected with teams, individuals, and then they invest more of themselves and go to the games. Um, So it needs to be seen consistently. And then that attracts sponsors. And I mean, it, it trickles on down from there. So as much airplay as possible, print media. I mean, I keep reading, obviously, that, there still wasn't a lot of print media um, for the WNBL. You know, even when there was quality basketball being played, um, it still was very minimal reporting done on that. Or, you know, I guess at, by the time it got edited, the articles were a lot smaller. You just got to keep plugging away, pushing away. You can't back down. You got to keep knocking on the doors and hounding, you know, organizations to, hey, look at this league. You know, we, we're here, we're here to stay, but we need your help to keep keep it at the highest level possible. So, you know, invest in us, invest, the re- you know, the rewards will come. You got to invest in us. You know, take it's taken, uh, you know, you look at the WNBA, they've been in the league for 25 years, you know, and a lot of people try and equate it to the men's NBA. In fact, the NBA just celebrated their 75th season. So, you know, it took them a while to get to that. The WNBA is you know, head in the right direction. So you, you've got to give it time to catch up and have the same amount of time as what the men have been given to get to where they've gotten to. So, but it takes investing in it first to get there. Yeah. It's interesting you bring up that point about the NBA because even though the NBA is 75 years old, the truth is it never really took off to become what we know it to be mm. until the early it's 80s. Yeah. Right? You know, it's it, it's only been this this behemoth for the last I don't know what thirty five years. Prior to that, it was not the big league that that it is today. Yep, you know, people are quick to shoot the the women's side down. It's like here are the stats. Here's the you know, it's so anyway. Sometimes you just can't talk reason with some people. They're not the the target audience you're after then. <laughs> No, no. I think I, I think they just turn around and go, yeah. You know what? It's it's not something that we're interested in, so we're just going to take mm-hmm. pot shots at it. And we see, yeah. It. And you know, and that's so. I mean, it's like, what is wrong? You know, why do we have to? You've got nothing to do with it. Why do you have to make the comments that people write and and just kind of bring people down? And I, I don't get it. Sometimes there's a line as a fan, and you know, there are too many fans that cross that line um, and think that, you know, they can say things because, you know, it gives them power by just being type, you know, typing comments with their fingers makes them feel powerful. But they don't, you know, words have, we're all human. Words can affect athletes as well, and they do. So we as a human race just have to kind of take a step back before reaching to the keyboard sometimes and typing things out. Well, that's why it's so easy because it's on a keyboard and your name, mm-hmm. you can be nameless and faceless. Yes, that's right. You can, yeah. Want, in whatever way you want. Yeah. It can be powerful and dangerous, equal sides, light and dark. But um, 
Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I don't think they would. Would they say that to, you know, at, at the home ground to the GM's face? Probably not. Probably not. Uh, and then, and I would say maybe, 99% would not, yeah. But maybe some people three beers in would, who knows? They'd be asking for selfies and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know. 100%. So can't have it both yeah. ways. But what about um, over your time, because obviously you've had such a, a, an extensive career in lots of aspects of the game and lots mm. of different levels of playing, What's kind of like your perspective of the development of the women's game as a whole and some of the different athletes that we're seeing in recent times? Well, I mean, the athleticism of the athletes now are just, I mean, phenomenal. Um, and the game has changed to adapt to that, I guess, a, a bit. You know, you've, it's such a quicker game and versatility is the key word uh, in today's style is, you know, you've You've got players playing multiple positions now. It's not the stock standard, you're a one, you're a two, you're a five, you know. It's like you can be multidimensional. We've got, I remember, you know, sometimes Lauren was bringing the ball down when we would play together. So that's fun to watch because now also guards can also go and post up. You know, it's it's just a different style of game. And so I think, you know, for myself here in New Zealand, though, they're probably not quite up to where obviously Australia is in terms of development um, and they've got a ways to go. But, you know, for me here, it's just all about going back to the basics and getting back to the basics of doing two foot stops, getting balance, uh, reading your defense. Um, you know, I know people go and look on YouTube and find all these fancy you know, one on oh things to to try and master on the court. But you know, at the end of the day, if you can't do these basic things first, then don't try and do that. I'm trying to get that mentality going here and then building on that. But yeah, it's fun. It's that's the beauty of it. There's always something to teach, to learn yourself and um it's just great for the game. Are there any particular young female Australian athletes that you've got your eye on or have impressed you in recent times? Oh, I'm a big fan of Ezzy. Oh, Ooh, yeah. I love watching yeah, Ezzy yeah. play with the Seattle Storm. I mean, I don't know what it is about Seattle. They just attract Australians, don't they? Um, she is just a phenomenal athlete and, you know, just, I mean, she's got height anyway, but just her ability to use her length as well to her advantage, um, just makes her such a a weapon on defense as well as you know just running the floor offensively and being able to just throw it up to her you know be like go get it and um so I love watching her I love also watching uh Christy Wallace who's playing for the Atlanta Dream right now and Mm -hmm. I didn't know a lot about her because you know she'd been um in the U.S. at college and just wasn't a name on, on my radar that I'd picked up on and you know that's on me and just watching her play defense out there, it was, it, you know, it gave me chills as it's like, obviously I'm a, def- was a defensive specialist and, you know, I just love seeing that style of play by a guard. And uh, I feel like in the, in the last few years, the Opals needed that kind of defensive tenacity. It was kind of lacking a little bit, you know, over the last couple of years. And I think they're kind of picking that back up again now. And uh, so I, I've really enjoyed watching her also during this WNBA season. And with the um, with the opals, I mean, none of us are going to forget your your victory lap in the lounge room. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, well, what I, is- I mean, once I put it on social media, it doesn't go away, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy at times, but you know what? I love it. No, it was, I, look, I think it was from the reactions. Everybody got behind it. They thought it was great. But you know, we, we're rolling into the to the World Cup. What do we have to do? to turn things around. I know there's there's a lot of changes that have been made with the squad and Sandy's obviously had an opportunity to do a lot more games with the squad together as they're heading towards this. What do we have to do to see the team back in medal contention? Well, first of all, let me just say that, you know, going back to that little jig I did in the lounge room, um, once an opal, <laughs> always an opal. So, you know, I get hyped up watching my fellow Opals play and and um, and that's how it should be. Um, you know, I feel like obviously there's been a lot of disruption mm. um, in the Opals over the last couple of years, which hasn't helped. And 
I feel like now they've done what they've had to do to address, correct the ship, make mm. whatever changes they felt necessary for the better of the program and for the players and for, like you said, the direction which the Opals wanted to to head towards. I feel like that's now going to have a big impact going forward, that they can get back to the chemistry, the team chemistry, the camaraderie, the team just being a tight-knit unit. I've always remembered that we were just such a tight-knit unit. And it, you know, as I tell, you know, my team here and, and everyone else that I talk to, it's like, you don't have to be best friends with everybody on your team, but you have to respect your teammates and mm. you have to show that respect and you have to be able to look your teammate in the eyes and say, yeah, I would run through a wall for you, regardless of what the friendship situation is, because at the end of the day, it's bigger than an individual. And when you're representing the green and gold, it's way more than the individual. You know, you're representing the nation. It's, it's at another level. And I think now they are going to be heading in the right direction. Like I just mentioned earlier, I feel like defensively they're picking things up and becoming more of that defensive style of team that we used to be, which just made things disrupted for their opposition. I mean, obviously the US is the team to beat. And so they just have to be disruptive defensively because there's just so much talent on that USA team, but you've got to be doing it together. It's not just down to one person stopping one player. You can't. You have to be connected as a team on the floor. And and I think that's what we used to be really good at was having each other's backs. And it got lost there for a little bit. But now I feel like the ship is going to be heading in the right direction again. Yeah, I think that cultural, the cultural aspect mm-hmm. of any team is probably equally, if not a bit more important than just the skills. Because you can mm-hmm. have... I mean, we've all seen teams that are full of superstars, but if they don't work together, mm-hmm. they just yeah. don't achieve. Sometimes there's not enough ball to go around. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and, you know, egos can sometimes also because, you know, there are players that do expect to have the ball in their hands more. Um, but when you've got a bunch of superstars, um, how do you do that? But I think the US have also done a lot better for a number of years now of of adapting themselves to, you know, playing with each other and sharing that basketball around, which is why they're, they're hard to beat because they're playing more team ball um, more than ever. I think something that's been really great with the Opals program, especially in the last 12 months while, you know, dealing with the tumultuous times that was, is um, mm-hmm. having people, obviously Sandy being a former Opal herself as the head coach of the program, having people like Trish Fallon as the manager, having LJ back in the fold, having Tim Z mm-hmm. come in doing some mentoring. So all of these Opals, you know, that built the legacy, built the sisterhood, um, and that includes like yourself. I think it's been such an advantage of having those uh, Opals who built that come back and, you know, share the legacy and continue to grow the culture with the Opals now. Can we see you in the fold somewhere there? Because I feel like in terms of mentorship and experience, you've got a lot to offer as well. Well, never say never. I mean, you know, <laughs> I obviously it would be a, a, an amazing opportunity if it were to even be remotely possible. So, you know, I would never shut the door on anything like that. But, you know, the names that you just mentioned, all those players, I mean, they just got it, you know. They were our standout players, you know, the names that you mentioned, but they were all for the team. You know, it wasn't about them. They were all for the team and what they had to do to get Australia to to the medals and, you know, to, to win. And and that was, I mean, I just loved, I mean, Timsey was my idol growing up as a player back in my early days with Perth. And I remember the first year I just basically trained against her and learned so much that I instilled into the way I went about, you know, training and playing because I was watching it from the best. And I tell you what, I I learned more in that year of not playing. I mean, may have got one minute total on the floor um, in a whole year, but I learned more in that time training against and just watching and being a sponge than, you know, than most other years because, and I think that's what sometimes people forget when they're early in their careers, they're too consumed about minutes played and 
you know, me getting subbed out and this and that. And it's like, look at the big picture here. Look at what you're not understanding the possibilities of how this can, the players that you are around right now can elevate you to a higher level down the track, but you're so consumed on the wrong things that you're missing all these opportunities with these amazing players around you to learn, to grow. So I think some of the young ones coming out these days kind of aren't mindful of that. It's interesting because we spoke to Jade Melbourne not that long ago. And one of the things that for me anyway came across strongly was the fact that she was saying, you know, so long as I'm there, Mm. even if I'm, you know, just on the bench and supporting the team and I'm learning while watching, it's like that attitude was so refreshing because, you know, I think the media tends to hype up the players that, not just not in Australia, but not just in Australia, but globally, those players that are like really forthright and it's about me and and I'm gonna mm-hmm. they, they like that kind of approach that they forget that it's really the ones who've got the attitude of we're here for the team, I'm doing whatever I can to support the team, whether I'm sitting on the bench or whether I'm out on the floor or whether at training I'm just sort of sitting down and listening to someone or watching what they're the ones that really take the team and elevate it to that next level. Oh, it's, for sure. Yeah, I'm to sure, me, it's, like, look, yeah. sorry. Language. No, no, go, go, go. We got the blue I was, You know what? I Yeah, you got the two seconds. Like, <laughs> I know I get so worried when they mic me up here and I'm like, I well, I got a text from my mum after one game. Whoa, watch your language. You let, that, you let a word out. <laughs> It was probably the one time I accidentally dropped an F-bomb because um, I was in a frustrated moment. Well, actually, no, I think I used it actually in a very positive way. But anyway, <laughs> it just got caught on camera. And, yeah, sure enough, I had a text message from my mom waiting for me after the game. But, I mean, I was 35 when I really first got my opportunity with the Opals. But I understood the players that were in my position that I was fighting it out with. I mean, it was, well, Tim Z, it was Christy Harrower, Annie LaFleur. I mean, there were amazing players. And so you've got to have a sense of reality as well. And, you know, you just don't chuck a hissy fit just because you're not getting minutes or you're not getting picked. It's like, no, wait your time. Keep doing the work. Your time will come. And that's exactly your point, Paul, talking about, you know, players, you're there. So do all the, be listening, make sure you're, you're getting eye contact with the coach when they're talking to you and little things like that to stay engaged and they're seeing you doing extra shooting. And so it's, um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And Jade had the right approach there. And it's taken her to the current uh, camp in, in New York City, in, mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Um, she's been still included in the squad ahead of a couple of other long-standing um, athletes in her position who have been in Opal squads a bit longer. But, yep, mm-hmm. she keeps turning up. She keeps asking for help. She keeps asking questions. She keeps focusing on her strengths, as she told us in the podcast episode. And, yeah, I think there's a lot a lot to be taken from that. Yeah. I mean, mm. you, you can make a career out of being a role player, so do it well. <laughs> you know, some people are... I mean, you, you have your stars and you know that they're the players that, let's just say, you know, the focal point in um, offences and stuff. And so you understand that. And then you've got players like myself, you know, we're just, we're role players and we got to stick to our roles and not do things that we wouldn't normally do. But you can make a long career out of being the best role player and finding a spot in a team. It's, yeah, not, not everybody can, is a superstar and you just have to be accepting of that and, and be a realist and find where you fit in and what you can bring to a team because there's always spots for those kind of players on every team. And that's that other aspect of when you're an athlete, it's your job. You're, it is your job to be an athlete, to go to training, look after yourself, mm-hmm. attend team meetings. But when you're on the court, you've got a different job. Like you said, you might be a role player, you might be the focal point of offense, but your job to your teammates is going to be slightly different, but your ultimate goal together is to win. So everyone needs to still perform their individual jobs to their best of their uh, ability to ultimately get the win, which is the outcome of the whole team. So it's yeah. I'm trying to 
instill that mentality as well in younger people like it's not a personal thing sometimes some people's jobs are going to be different on a different day sometimes their their job's going to suit the game environment on that particular day and they'll get to work more but the point is to win yeah I mean you know and it's not to say that you're not a threat out there I mean and you know just want to make that point clear it's like everyone needs to be a threat out there but you know I knew when I was playing uh, for Seattle Storm and when I would come back Sue up and be on the floor and if I'm on with Lauren and um, Sheree Sam you know I know that when I bring the ball down I'm not looking to shoot an early three-point shot because one it's not not my specialist shot but I know that my initial role is to try and get the ball into the hands of the players that are better at it but if it's been inside, outside, reverse then it comes back to me and the shot clock's winding down then yeah I'm going to take that shot so it's understanding time and place and all of those aspects of the game as well there's a lot of moving parts and then I think when the successful teams are the ones where everybody buys into their roles and understands and they get the best chemistry out there on the floor you speak in my language <laughs> I don't know what language that, that is because I got a bit of American I got a bit of I got Australian <laughs> and now I've got a bit of Kiwi uh, you know which language we, we're going <laughs> to... doesn't matter. It's the content that yeah. I'm subscribing to. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Lauren. Uh, it's Obviously, it's been, it's been a huge topic, her coming back, playing in the NBL1, Opal's camp. How do you see that? You know, I mean, from my point of view, it's a positive thing, right? Because mm-hmm. basically she's saying, I think I can still do it, and she's come back and she's proved it in the NBL1, and... Obviously, let's be honest, it, there are limited spots for the Opals. So there's mm. been a decision that, you know, she's got the capability to be able to perform at that level. You know, Lauren, you've played with her. From your point of view, what's your view on this? Uh, one, I'm just, you know, it's I'm absolutely floored by how well she's come back and gotten herself back into shape and, She's just so good that I think Sandy wouldn't have put her in this position had she not believed that Lauren was good enough to take that next step again after, you know, I think she was NBL one. So, yeah, Sandy wouldn't have made that decision lightly if she didn't think that Loz had a legitimate shot. But I'm so proud of Loz. Like, you know, injuries forced her basically into early retirement. And I really just think her body just needed a break. and. Also, having had two children in amongst that time away from the court, you know, motherhood changes you. You see things differently. It's, it's, you have different focus. Um, and I really feel like it's just put Lauren in such a good place in life that, and, you know, like, you know, myself, when I removed myself from basketball for a while, it, that love and passion of it started to come back. And I think, you know, the same thing with Loz, you know, she, had to step away from it for a while and um, she took care of herself and the basketball side never left. It just needed a break. Her body mended and she had some unfinished business and it's just been amazing. And I don't know if she knew that it was going to escalate to getting back into the Opal squad. I think she just wanted to get back on the court and finish her story, you know, and Mm. her two kids on the sideline watching her. Um, that's so powerful. Um, and that's, you know, another story in itself, you know, being a mum and coming back. But I, I think she's just, yeah, I mean, she's so good that I wouldn't put it past her to potentially make it. I think this will be a good having now some games against another country and seeing how physically it is on her body. I think that's probably going to be what comes from this is going to be a sign of whether or not we might see her in that green and gold uniform in uh, late September. Are you going to be here for the World Cup? No, that is late September and I finish here end of August and I think I might get murdered if I'm like, hey, I need another four weeks vacay, you know, I'm just going to go and party it up in Australia for another four weeks. Um, No, I am missing my kids now, obviously. And, you know, it'll be six weeks since I will have seen them. Um, I want to get back to them. But you will be watching the the World Cup, obviously. Oh, for sure. I'll have my onesie on ready to do my little dance around. 
um, the living room. Well, I might have a two-piece still up in the attic still somewhere. I might have to change it to a two-piece because I haven't been working out since I've been here. I found that the life of a coach, I, I haven't got my balance right, you know, and one I found I'm now permanently with the uh, Janis Joplin voice. I hope your listeners out there are enjoying this huskiness because it's permanent till the end of August. Karaoke, I've had to change my song selections a bit now because it's affected my range. Uh, Sleepless nights, you know, I thought it was bad enough with kids, but, uh, you know, coaching is like having another child and, you know, sleepless nights and lots of watching film and um, so there's that and... uh, I know I've just wandered off into a train of thought. I have no idea what I was talking, what we were talking about. Was there a question? <laughs> I asked if you were coming to the World Cup, but um... oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I went off my own little tangent. Didn't yeah, I? that's okay. Um, right. Yeah, you did touch on but something. No. Really, also spoke about in terms of having a balance when you're a coach because you don't people don't understand a lot of the behind the scenes and hard work yeah. that oh, I know where I was going with that now I was talking about getting into a bodysuit and <laughs> yes you're getting it a, might look a little different from it might look a little different on from when the last time I was on dancing around so I've got oh, so I'm doing my maths I've got a couple couple months maybe to write the ship there <laughs> uh, well I don't know how many of the of the podcasts you've you've listened to in the past, but there's always a question that we kind of pull out of thin air, which is just oh, jeez, because it's just not math or anything like that. Don't you know. <laughs> no, no. embarrass me with any like you know, no, <laughs> nothing like that. <laughs> if you were going to be a movie character out of any of the movies Ooh. you've ever seen, mm-hmm. who would you be? Hmm. So you needed to let me know this question at the beginning so I could have thought about it. <laughs> that um, takes all the fun out of it. <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to find in my head someone that loves to have fun, also is a strong woman, athletic woman. I mean, I'm sure Wonder Woman liked to have fun too. Um, you've stumped me. Did you have a backup <laughs> question just in case I couldn't answer that question? <laughs> I have a random question that uh, yeah. maybe actually of all of your Opal's teammates, if you if you got picked to go on Celebrity Amazing Race and you had to Ooh. pick one of your Opal's teammates, who would you pick? Ooh. You know, I, I mean, I, no disrespect to Loz, but, you know, she might hold me back if, we, you know, <laughs> you know she's... <laughs> she's not going to listen to this but you know i've got to think strategy here you know what a good one well well i mean obviously erin phillips if i'm thinking of you know strategy and stuff she would be a good one to have um but also emily mcinerney i think you know she would be a good one to have as a partner in that amazing race so but yeah i don't think loz and i would get past the first portion of the show we'd probably find a little watering hole somewhere and spend too much time having a little uh, Sauvignon Blanc um, there and we would forget what we were supposed to be doing or what direction so yeah we don't put us two together it sounds like more of a distraction (laughs) we had some we had some good times together but when it was time for basketball, it was time for basketball. Um, that was the beauty of, you know, us having fun on the court, off the court. You know, we knew the right time, right place. And I think the 2004 Seattle Storm team was like a perfect example of a team that just got it right, you know, team chemistry-wise, on and off the court. Actually, there was, there was one thing I did want to touch on. The gold medal team, you know, that mm-hmm. World Cup, what did it feel like when you knew that you had it? Oh, it was, oh my God, that was just, it's like chills when you kind of think about these things. I, I think it was just the that moment of being like the OMG of we're going to win a gold medal. You know, we're going to be the first senior team, men or women, for Australia to, to win a gold medal at the World Championship. It was, I mean, it was the biggest adrenaline rush is all I can kind of equate it to. Um, that just the massive high that you can't explain in words 
because it wouldn't come off correctly in terms of what it really felt like. Um, words don't do it justice. It's just that feel, that adrenaline, the euphoria, and then obviously the celebrations that, you know, then take place. Special moment. But when we knew you felt your chest just kind of, I mean, it was puffing out because you knew you had it and you're ready to just let it rawr, you know, as soon as that final <laughs> siren. But, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I, I'm very disappointed that I won't be there because I know a lot of, if not most of uh, or all of those players are going to be getting together at the World Championships. So my heartstrings are kind of being pulled a little bit there knowing that I won't be amongst them all. Yeah, it's going to be a little opals kind of velvet roped off section. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we can get a cutout of myself and have someone just kind of move me around um, the room and take pictures with everybody. You know, maybe we could get... Um, Not a bad you know, idea. Get, get like, that's the, actually a doable idea, Tully. If we talk it is. to the right yeah. people, and then, just, happen. Yeah. then you can just kind of like get me on the phone and I can be like talking, but it's just, yeah, the cardboard me, but I, I can face, t- you know. So get onto that, all right? Okay, we'll let, we'll let the know. guys at the at the World Cup organising committee know about that one. I'm seeing one mm-hmm. of them today, so look. I'll let them know. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I, I look, you know, with technology these days, you can zoom me in on one of the games. I'll uh, give my commentary from my lounge room. <laughs> I got to learn from Jacinta. I mean, you know, I get <laughs> get tips from you with. You're a bit of a commentary queen now yourself. Hey, no, no, no. I'm just following in your footsteps, Tal, you no, know. I, I'm, I'm just the colour commentator, all right? I don't take full responsibility. Neither <laughs> <laughs> do I. I, uh, <laughs> I, I got to catch myself sometimes because I find I get, you know, it's like, oh, my God, that was a stupid pass. I was like, oh, 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 wrong words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, no, like, uh, got to say things a little nicer. <laughs> I was starting to tread a little bit down that path last week where I just said, look, that foul was unnecessary. And then I was like, oh, I better pull it back. <laughs> no, I think people appreciate, you know, the truth. The truth. <laughs> that was unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I, I don't know. I, I reckon there's actually commentary like, you know, where you call it the way you, you really see it. Mm. I reckon it would go over so well with, with the viewers. I know. It's the kind of like what maybe not so now. Much. I know, right? Yeah. Well, I, I guess it's now like in the US, what they did with the Super Bowl, they had the Manning brothers sitting in their lounge room, you know, coming, oh, just yeah. verbalizing and talking and whatever during the Super Bowl, you know. So it is kind of starting to happen that way um, on live TV now. And I think Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi did it at the NCAA Final Four on the yes. women's. And that got good reception. Look, you got two characters there. And I think it's getting the right people to do it to keep that banter going for the whole time is is the key so but yeah it's it's happening now did you like it did you like commentary would you get back into it I do enjoy it and you know when you're comfortable with the person that you're working with that helps if you've got a chemistry with them so I've been working with Pat Boylan in the US with the Indiana Fever and we've now been doing it for a few years together so we just have a nice rapport with one another and I just kind of like you know, the words of advice I was given was, hey, just, you know, picture yourself sitting on the couch. We're just having a chat on the couch, you know, to kind of be in a relaxed state so that it sounds like you're relaxed out there. They were the words of advice that I was given. Sound advice, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tully, I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I mean, I know it's you're, you're in the middle of a season and we really appreciate it, but it's been a lot of fun. Well, I've had fun too. Um, it is my day off today and I've not gotten out of my pajamas and I really don't have any intention to. I was supposed to try and get a workout in. I was supposed to start day one today, but I don't know if that might happen. I'm uh, enjoying not having to, uh, well, I will actually do some work. I'll sit and watch film because coach never has a day off, but I am going to enjoy just having a lazy day today, I think. But I love doing these and I love connecting with the Aussies. And, you know, to me, it's still all about giving back. And this is a part of it. Thanks so much for joining us. And we really enjoyed it. Well, again, thank you. And and also from the the Poakai organization for contributing 
to our ticket donations. Um, it, it's nice to be able to say thank you personally for doing that. So we appreciate it. So you guys are doing a great job and uh, keep it up yourself. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.